1996, the San Francisco Chronicle reported that, quote, with a pinata full of live crickets, a songbook of wordy rock, and a brazen approach, an unsigned local band went to New York for an audition and came back booked for the biggest hormone hop of the season, opening for Oasis tonight at the Civic Auditorium. We're not sure what a hormone hop is either, but the following year, no longer unsigned, the band released its self-titled debut on Elektra Records. That, that album went on to sell over 6 million copies, and the hit songs from it have been torturing us ever since. Today on Hidden Jukebox, Third Eye Blind, self-titled. Well, you sound uh, about as excited as me for this one. Yeah, this was, honestly, I hate this album, but I found it a really interesting exercise to listen to it and try and think about why I hate it. This this is sort of a sequel to last week uh, last month's uh, Rage Against the Machine episode. Also, an album that I'm not a super big fan of, but I like a thousand times better than this one. Yeah, well, I was a super big fan of it. For our regular listeners, um, you're going to find this episode a bit interesting because up until now, it feels like we have been stroking the egos of every single artist that we choose and every single album that we choose. And this is the first one that we've chosen where both of us agree, going back and listening to it again, it's still a big no for us. Yeah. Uh, so And so, remember last time, and uh, we'll dive into the music pretty quick, but last time we talked about how often when there is an album that you genuinely hate, you don't just feel neutral about it, like, you know, that's not for me, but like, I never want to hear this again. It's because it's similar in some way to music that you like. Um, and there's just something about it that it, that it you know goes over to the wrong side for you. And I figured out what it is with this album. And uh, Really? Oh, yeah. What is it? Okay, so this album came out in 1997, and it came out a year after one of my all-time favorite albums that sounds quite similar in terms of instrumentation. It treats a lot of the same topics, like a, a young white guy who is unlucky in love and wants to tell us all about it. Uh, and one of those albums is one of my all-time favorites, and the other one is by Third Eye Blind. The one I'm talking about is Pinkerton by Weezer. Okay. Yeah. And and this is Pinkerton's I, evil twin. I totally get it. So before I dig into why we chose this, let's listen to the opening track, Losing a Whole Year. Let's do it. Like for every every one of the songs on this album, at least the ones that stuck with me, and like I'm not going to argue that these songs aren't catchy. Obviously, they are. But for each of these songs, I was thinking about what is the good version of this song, and the good version of this song is "Common People" by Pulp. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. <laughs> right. It's it's about a uh, you know a problematic relationship with a rich girl. Well, and and you know the the thinly veiled meaning of this is, from what I understand or what I think is you wind up in this relationship that you think is going to be everything and it doesn't work out and you feel like, Oh, well I've lost a year of my life investing in this and now I have to move on and try and find something else. Yeah. And that's fine. But like, I want to get into more when we talk about semi charmed life, like that's when that really crystallizes for me, what bugs me about this album. But you know, he, he sounds too, enlightened about the situation for this to work for me as a bitter breakup song because um he first of all he says that that the uh that his ex is was quote copying his truths which i think means like she was like repeating the wise things that he was saying but not really understanding what they meant which is (laughs) seems unlikely um and (laughs) the whole thing is just like cliches and semi-poetic bullshit Semi-poetic bullshit being another uh, Third Eye Blind single, right? And I don't know what. What are also, we trying? You, you you just described every lyric to every song on this album. By the way, yeah. Like what this- what are we, you and I, Jake, trying to achieve here? Like, because you know, it's it's not like they're that we're inherently right about this, or that you know that it's that it's objectively bad. You know, well, it- we're six million people bought this album you know we're not going to convince a single one of them that it's not good and you texted me earlier this week and you said are we making a big mistake talking about an album that both of us absolutely hate like is this going to turn people against us what does our opinion really matter can we write catchy songs like this maybe we're both musicians but are they going to be this good i i mentioned in my notes Stephen Jenkins, it's not Stefan, it's Stephen. It's Stefan or Cal. <laughs> uh, is amazing at writing earworms. They are, earworms are like melodies or songs that you can't get out of your head. So love it or hate it, he's really good at writing these things where you're like, oh my God, I hate that. And now it's stuck in my head for the, the next two days. The other band that I always think about that with is smash mouth i hate them but partially i hate them because they are earworms they get stuck in my head so easily and coincidentally the producer of this album eric valentine produced pretty much everything that smash mouth ever did but he also produced slash queens of the stone age he produced songs for the deaf which is one of the best rock albums of all time in my opinion wouldn't it be great if slash joined smash mouth and they called themselves slash mouth no no (laughs) Anything having to do with Smash Mouth, that would ruin Slash for me, and I don't want to ruin Slash. Like, I, I picture him start, stopping with the hat and the sunglasses and starting to dress like the lead singer of Smash Mouth. <laughs> that would be great. Um, <laughs> I don't hate Smash Mouth. I feel like they're having so much fun and they don't take themselves seriously. I mean, they are dumb, but, like, that's fine. No, you you just described the Mighty Mighty Boston's Totally different band. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, I, so... I want to say normally I talk about uh, normally we talk about um, what our memories are of this in the 90s. And I the problem with this is my memories are from the get go. I didn't like these songs. They really graded on me. I was never like, a, oh, I can take them or leave them. It was always one of those bands. I lumped them in with Matchbox 20 for some reason where I just 
didn't get it. And trust me, I'm I'm sure that the people out there who are listening who love this album are going to be like, oh, fuck you, man. Don't you ever lump these guys in with Matchbox 20. Matchbox 20 sucked and Third Eye Blind were awesome. But the reason that we're doing this show is somehow out of everyone I have talked to who I'm say, who I say, my brother and I do a podcast about 90s albums. What album do you want us to cover? The most requested album is Third Eye Blind's self-titled debut. Last year during a summer party at my friend Court's, shout out to Court, I was talking with my friend Raj, shout out to Raj, <laughs> and... And, and he was the first person who said to me, man, you know what my favorite 90s album is? And I'm waiting for him to say something Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. And he says Third Eye Blind self-titled album. And I just went, what? And then a few weeks later, I'm hanging out with my friend Danielle. Shout out to Danielle. She says the same thing. I'm like, what? Um, my current girlfriend, Lori. Shout out to Lori. Absolutely loves this album. And then friend of Hidden Jukebox, who you may have heard on the R.E.M. Out of Time episode, Rich McLaughlin, I text him to see if I'm out of my mind here. And I say to him, for some reason, people keep requesting Third Eye Blind self-titled album. Tell me that I'm crazy here. And he's like, oh, my God, I absolutely love that album. This is so odd. Now, do you think that, that Matchbox 20 is to Third Eye Blind as Third Eye Blind is to Weezer? Because I, I think maybe the accessibility of this album is one of the things that makes it hard for me to like. And well, that's and that's on me, not on them. Yeah, that that's exactly what I was going to say, is people like what they're going to like, and that's totally on you. And do you think that most people didn't like Matchbox 20? They were huge. Yeah, One of, of the course. biggest hits of the last 20 years, granted it's not Matchbox 20, but it's Rob Thomas, is Smooth. Another earworm. Yeah, Don't like that song. But all you have to do is hear those first notes that Santana plays, and you're like, oh, here we go. Well, this song is going to be stuck in my head the rest of the day. Yeah, you, you just won't forget about it. <laughs> please, um, please don't do that. Yeah. I don't know, so man. I, I like I I see where you're coming from, um, but well, let's listen to another. Let's song listen to another song. Pick so, a song. So, uh, one of the singles off this album, "How's It Going to Be," is a song that when I went back and was remembering everything that was released by them, I said, "Now here's a song that I actually don't mind." It was it was more catchy and less of this Stephen Jenkins scream you about whatever it's going to be, which is always going to be breaking up with a chick. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's listen to how it's going to be. Okay.
things in there that I like. The, the little noodly guitar riff is pretty good. I mean, it, it is Sweet Jane by uh, Velvet Underground, Fair. but that's that's not a huge deal. A, a lot of songs rip off other songs. And again, he's singing about a girl, and the as the lyrics go on, it's kind of obvious that it, it's about running into somebody later on that you were in love with and what that's like and are you going to know each other anymore it's it, it's not like these topics are off limits like oh well you're just ripping everybody off, off if you write about love and lost love most songwriters do that at one point or another no i think the thing i object to with the lyrics on this song is first of all it feels like a first draft like there there are some things there that like first of all did he mean to say how it's going to be and how's it going to be in the course of the same <laughs> chorus? I guess maybe that's clever if it was intentional, but it feels unintentional. But there, there's no, there's no attempt anywhere in the song to like access any details about the relationship that are beyond just universal cliches. Well, so getting into, uh, what the people who I talked to who really liked this album said about it. Yeah. Most of them talked about it with that feeling of nostalgia. Not like, like none of them said, oh, that album holds up today the way it did back in 1997. Interesting. Most of them them said, it's nostalgia for me. It's like, I call it a, you had to be their album. I, instead of, uh, lumping it in with with other albums um which you did a little bit i say it's like the movie the breakfast club i used to watch that movie over and over when i was a kid and it just hit really hard with being in middle school and high school and everybody kind of being an outcast even in their own group and it it just felt like it struck a chord with me and i can still go back and enjoy it but if I tried to show it to your kid, Iris, who is 16 right now and the perfect age for the breakfast club, they would say, I don't get it. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. Like like they might like it, but they also might be like, eh, it, it just seems like a movie about being in high school that's really, really dated. Yeah. But somebody like me would be like, oh, come on. The characters are so well written and this and that. But I also would watch it and go. Like, it's a great movie. It's just that it means so much to me because of where I was when I first saw it. Yeah, that's true. Are there there other albums? Are there albums like that for you? Well, for me, I always go back for some reason to Rubberneck by Toadies. Oh, interesting. It's such a great album but it's an album that i highly doubt that i could play for anybody who's never heard it before and they go whoa where have i been the last 25 years that's interesting i have not i don't know if i've ever listened to that whole album i remember the single great um and i remember that a band that i tried out for in the 90s and did not get into the guys in that band were super into toadies i do want to say this Listening to this Third Eye Blind album, the band itself is really, really good. They are really, really solid musicians, which is why it's funny that none of them are in the band anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know you were going to say that. <laughs> um, so Stephen Jenkins is 
I don't know the guy, but he's rumored to be a selfish, self-serving narcissist, I mean, which might be a little redundant. That's weird because you wouldn't get that idea from the lyrics. Yeah, exactly. So he wrote all of these songs with their guitar player at the time, Kevin Cadigan. Um, they started the band together in 1993, uh, just writing songs at a young age like many people do. And they became wildly famous in one of those very rare things where they were signed before they even had an album and were probably rich, but beyond their wildest dreams before they even had a hit. Yeah. Um, they opened for Oasis when they were still unsigned. Exactly. And, and, and got to play an encore as the opener. Yes, I read that. <laughs> um, totally true. So uh, Cadigan... Um, left the band because supposedly Jenkins filed publishing rights and trademarks behind his back and tried to take all the money, which for people who don't know how music publishing works, you're supposed to sign up with either BMI or ASCAP, two different groups that keep track of when your songs are played mm -hmm. and when your album is played and who gets paid for that. And most of the time, if songs are being co-written, that money gets divided. Or if a band name has been come up together by everybody in the band, that if that name appears somewhere, everybody gets to split the rewards from that. Well, Jenkins took all that for himself. And Cadigan got replaced by another guy who, I, I don't remember his first name, his last name is Salazar. And he did the same thing to him. <laughs> they wrote a bunch more songs, yeah. and Jenkins did the same thing. Jenkins. Bo both of them got money out of court, but, you know, Stephen Jenkins is a jerk, and it might contribute a little bit to my um, dislike for him and for this band, but not really for the music itself. The music yeah, should still I mean, speak for itself. That, that seems like sort of garden variety jerkitude to, to me. Like, not that not that I'm defending that, but like, it's not it's not enough for me to cancel the guy. I guess garden variety jerkitude is a great name for a song. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think I don't think Rivers Cuomo from Weezer is probably a nice guy. Oh, I've also heard that he's a total douchebag. Yeah, bag. no, I'm sure I'm sure he's a dick, but I still really like that album. Yep. Yeah, I know. I, we're we're going to be covering that in the Blue Album very soon. So excited for that. Uh, yeah, and exactly. It's it's like like you said, what is the major difference between Pinkerton and this album and yet we're going to gush all over it like it's the greatest thing to come out of the 90s? I don't Yeah. And of course, probably most people who like either of those albums like both of them. Yes. Right? Exactly. We we will fully admit that we are probably the outliers here. Yeah. That we are not it's, I don't think a ton of people are going to hear this and go Oh, thank God somebody else dislikes Third Eye Blind. Yeah, I mean, maybe somebody. Um, somebody. You know what? You know what this makes me think of is Kenny G. <laughs> because, so I... When I, I think of Third Eye Blind, I think of Kenny G. You know, this is probably like an overwrought analogy, but I think there are a lot of like people who are serious jazz people who hate Kenny G because what he's doing is, you know, it's like soft, easy listening jazz. There's no, nothing challenging about it. You know, he's not pushing the envelope in any way. Um, and nobody is arguing that Kenny G is a, is, is bad at playing the saxophone. He's obviously very good at that. 
I am not a jazz person, and I have no opinion whatsoever on whether Kenny G is any better or worse than any other jazz record that I'm not going to listen to. So it's interesting, like seeing being able to step outside this argument and see, okay, I get what people are saying about how it's frustrating, how you know, goddamn accessible Kenny G is, and uh, you know how soporific and you know. Like not not what you know the foundations of jazz are all about but from my perspective I'm like i don't care right and people who could take or leave this or have never heard it before are probably not going to hear it and go Ooh, oh, and i guess you- the other part is that like there you know kenny g is is enormously popular and for a lot of people you know he's not just background music that like a lot of people really connect to kenny g records and they're really important to them and you know i can understand that it's a little harder for me to understand that with Third Eye Blind because I'm so close to this style of music. Well, well, then maybe we should listen to Semi-Charmed Life and hear just what drew people to these guys in the first place. Cool. I've never heard this song before, so I'm looking yeah, forward okay, to checking cool. it out. to princess kneel before Before you you. that's what i said said um (laughs) yeah so this song man uh i don't really have a problem with it except okay well i don't like the vocal delivery um but you know does weezer do that sometimes too yes uh the do 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 part they say was inspired by lou reed's walk on the wild side whether or not that's true, I hate it. Um, and it's, I feel like the doot doot doos to me just like cross so far over the line into tasteless. And I, I realize just, that's, that's the most subjective thing in the world, but I feel like there was, there must have been somebody like in the room when he came up with that saying, like, uh, like what you're doing here is like the pop music equivalent of chemical weapons. Like, you know, it's going to work. We're going to sell a million copies of this, but I'm going to hate myself forever. But there's, I mean, that's like the formula for like pop music these days is can you write uh, like melodies that, that don't even need that you can just sing? Like I think of Wake Up by uh, Arcade Fire, where the chorus is just them singing a melody, not singing any lyrics with it, and it's so catchy. How dare you compare that song to this one? I, I'm sorry. It's the same <laughs> idea. It's totally the same idea. But but for some reason, I know that you don't have a problem with that. You're right. Now, 
the thing that's always bothered me about this song is it feels like he's almost rapping instead of singing i know so in researching third eye blind i discovered that jenkins oh my god i can i can't even do this without cracking up jenkins in 1992, formed a band called Puck and Natty. I, I saw was, this also. Which was based off of the name is is a play on this du- this jazz duo Tuck and Patty, and they were they called themselves a funky rap master group with Detroit rapper Herman Anthony Chun as the other member, um, and it was short lived. But they did land a, so- a song on Beverly Hills 90210. Nice. Uh, they made $7,800 off it, and Jenkins says, I bought groceries. But he was actually in a rap group before he formed Third Eye Blind with I mean, Kevin also, that's a lot of that's a lot of groceries. Let's see if we can get that, some... I, uh, I here know, we go. It's like, wow. This fucking natty. Found it? Yeah. You must listen. You must listen. Holy shit. Oh my god. Wow. That um <laughs> just summed up all the verses to semi-charmed life for me. <laughs> yeah, it it really did. Uh now now I see why I thought that Stephen Jenkins was actually a rapper because he is Jenkins man what maybe one of the, maybe one of the most talented guys to come out of the Bay Area so <laughs> so <laughs> ever ever uh, so one of the things I wanted to discuss um because th- we've covered a lot of early 90s stuff but this is 19 1997 this is when things started transitioning towards the end of the 90s back into a boy band pop phase with Britney Spears coming out with NSYNC and Backstreet Boys coming out music took a very very sharp turn from the dominant grunge and alternative era so my question is where did grunge end where did alternative start and where did alternative end when this did is, uh Bush's 16 stone come out was that 95 written down on a piece of paper right in front of me. <laughs> I just, am not you just joking. keep it there as, as like kind of a talisman. It, it, yes, it, it's to remind me always that this band existed at one point. I just don't want to forget Bush. Um, Bush was another band that everybody loved that I felt like was following a formula. Like, well, everybody else is getting popular because they're doing this exact thing so in order for us to get popular we need to do this exact thing like yep loud crunchy guitars vocals that kind of scream over the top of it they were like the end of grunge i was gonna say the same thing and like i think bush is okay um i you know that the criticism that you that you just said was was uh, definitely leveled at them at the time and you know it didn't matter because their songs were very catchy yeah i i mean i still think uh which one is oh glycerine not glycerine glycerine yeah. is i is still like grates on me so bad yeah it's not but, great but but they wrote some good songs but 
it's trying to be grunge and it's not grunge. It falls into that alternative category. Now, I think that when Third Eye Blind came around, a lot of people lumped them into alternative because alternative had become this blanket term for anything coming out that had guitars, drums, bass, and vocals. Yes. And you listen to this album all the way through, and it is not remotely similar to anything grunge or what I think of alternative. I mean, yes and no. I think in in a few parts it is. Like one of the other songs that, that I picked for this episode is, what is the song called? Um, Thanks A Lot. And Thanks A Lot has a riff in it that could have been lifted from Siamese Dream. And they do that in a lot of their stuff because, in my opinion, they're kind of ripoff artists. But a lot of people were at this yeah. time. But the the band that I actually relate this to is R.E.M. Because R.E.M. was around way before grunge. Um, so they can't be called grunge. They certainly didn't sound like grunge. Then they got labeled as alternative rock during the alternative era. But you listen to them and they are writing pop music like they are writing very catchy tunes with verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus out, which we've talked about before on this show. It's it's almost like they got labeled as alternative because of the time that they were writing hit songs, not because of the type of music they were writing. Sure. But also, I mean, R.E.M. came out of like, you know, when they started, the genre was called college rock. Um, and, you know, started being called alternative rock in like the late 80s, I think. Right. Um, and so which predated grunge a little bit, or at least uh, anybody knowing knowing about grunge outside of Seattle. And so like, you know, once once marketers got the sense that, oh, alternative rock is like a is is a phrase that uh, is recognizable and uh, marketable. You know, I think I think that transition did start to happen right around the time of of Bush's first album, which was which was like the end of 94. Um, You know, Soundgarden, it had a huge album. Alice in Chains had a huge album. You know, this was this was something that was destined to be, you know, have the edges rounded off and made a little bit more accessible. And then you get Matchbox 20 and you get Third Eye Blind and you get I don't know. Give me give me another band. Um. Uh, from that well, I mean, era. and then you then you also get rap rock, right? I, I was going to say Limp Biscuit mm-hmm. started get, getting popular around that time too. Yeah, and like there's there's definitely overlap between the the semi charmed life vocal delivery and and a Limp Biscuit song. Well, you made a point in our notes that 1997 was a fascinating year for for music, and I think part of this speaks to how things were transitioning and the 90s were starting to get kind of an identity crisis as to where they've been and where they want to go next. So other bands that had number one records in 1997 were No Doubt, Live, both make sense, U2, Aerosmith, then Mary J. Blige, George Strait, Master P, Prodigy, Boys to Men, Metallica and Garth Brooks. Yep, all in the same year. All in the same year. Whereas, was, uh, like last year, the only artist who had a number one record was Drake, just all year long. Oh, I, I, I thought you were going to say, um, oh, come on, Boogie with the, the Hoodie. Who, yes, did you Boogie know with the Hoodie? I actually found when I was looking at this, Boogie with the Hoodie was not just number one for a week; he was number one for three weeks. 
Huge, huge. I mean, I can't wait to hear what comes next from Boogie with the Hoodie. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to be amazing. So my girlfriend, Lori, um, kept saying to me, well, if you don't like the songs that you've heard off of Third Eye Blind's self-titled album, listen to Motorcycle Drive-By. It's one of the greatest songs ever. It's one of my favorite songs. You're going to love it. Well, I can't play it now because uh, now I'm on the Spotify page for uh, Puck and Natty, and so we can only play Puck and Natty songs for the rest um, of the episode. All right. That's that's exactly what I was going to listen to after I went, we finished this. I'm going to go back to that. Summertime and the wind is blowing outside in the Chelsea, and I don't know what I'm doing in the city. The sun is always in my eyes. It crashes through the windows, and I'm sleeping on the couch. When I came to visit you, that's when I knew that I could never have you. I knew that before you did. Still, I'm the one who's stupid. There's this burning Like there's always been I've never been so alone And I've never been so alive This is a view on a motorcycle Drive by the cigarette ash flies it's a good song. I can't argue. It's it's great musically, um, and it, as it goes through, the dynamics pick up, which I really like. The lyrics do not change from the rest of the album. It's yeah. like, what do you know? He's pining after a girl. Um, this one is about a girl who he is falling in love with, but he knows will never love him. Um, it's very formulaic. Uh, do you know the album The Meadowlands by the Wrens? I do not. Um, because this the the song we just listened to is the Third Eye Blind version of 13 Months in Six Minutes by the Wrens, which uh, I'm going to play a few seconds, and it starts out like as slow as any song can start out. But just trust me that like it builds dynamically to like a huge outro. Okay. But same same subject matter. Anyway, can we use the rest of the episode as just an excuse to play songs we do like? Uh, I'm afraid that's not the way that our formula um, format works here, but uh, I can think of a lot that uh, I'd love to play. Yeah, because there's some there's something that that the intro to Motorcycle Drive by sounds just like. Yeah, there really is. But that that's that's another point that I want to make is I can't think of what it sounds like. But one of the things that that Third Eye Blind is really good at is taking things that they've heard before and not necessarily ripping them off so much as using them to write a very very catchy tune yeah and granted i am trying to find ways of giving this band credit here because 
they did sell six plus million copies of this album. It was very, very, very popular in a time that albums were right on the edge of going away uh, and digital was about to take over. This was yeah. one of the the last ones that was like, oh, well, the label hit the jackpot here. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. You know, you know what I'm hearing, like particularly when I listen to Stefan Urkel's voice here. Um, <laughs> Could you explain that for a minute? Yeah, Stefan Urkel was uh, was Steve Urkel's alter ego on Family oh, Matters. <laughs> okay, okay, I, I missed that. Now I've got it. <laughs> okay, um, and yeah, you, you have to be really old to to get that reference. Don't worry, um, I just turned forty. Oh, that's true. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, these guys sound to me like overdogs. I know that's not a word, but I feel like if these guys would beat me up in high school if we went to high school together. And that's why I don't want to listen to their songs. Like, you know, you you broke up with your girlfriend, boo-hoo, I don't even have a, a girlfriend. Um, there was this... <laughs> In 1997 or 1998, Rolling Stone was also trying to figure out what their identity was going to be. The not the band, the magazine, mm-hmm. and they started doing the band, generally uh, not known as Rolling Stone. So correct, correct. But people often call the magazine Rolling Stone the Rolling Stone. That's true. <laughs> uh, they started doing a fashion section for a short amount of time. And I will never forget that Stephen Jenkins did a fashion centerfold for like jeans and really expensive shirts in the center of Rolling Stone once. And I lost any shred of respect that was left for this band after that, where it was like, oh, they're the attractive overdogs. Yeah. Their lead singer is so attractive that he's also a model, apparently. Right, which is not really a good reason to to hate a musician, <laughs> but no, it's hard no. not to. You you suck because you're good looking, and that's not allowed. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I think you know I learned more about myself than about Third Eye Blind over the course of this of working on this episode, and maybe that's for the best. Yeah, it, I I agree. I can't come out of this saying that I love this album anymore, but. I go back to George, friend of the show, calling me a music fascist in high school. (laughs) Some of it will never go away. And with this album, apparently it didn't go away. I am still somewhat a music fascist in certain ways. But one of the great things about music is that it's going to be polarizing and it's a great topic to continue to talk about because if we all just agreed on everything, then all we'd have to do is pick up a guitar and we'd all be superstars. I mean, when you put it that way, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, I know. What What are we doing with our lives? Um, why, are, why are we not rich as it is? Uh, yeah, one thing we, we started last night that I'm hoping is going to be a new quarantine tr- uh, tradition is uh, we're doing family sing-along where uh, we I pull out the acoustic and we uh, pick a song that's fun for everyone to sing and uh, like play a few songs. Uh, last, last night we did like three Bell and Sebastian songs, so that's oh, the kind I of family w- we are. I was so... So hoping that you were going to say, so last night we did Down With The Sickness by Disturbed. <laughs> what's, what's the song, Let The Bodies Hit The Floor? That song is called Let The Bodies Hit The Floor. Oh, great. 
<laughs> so good. Uh, Wait, uh, who, who is that song? Uh, now, now you're challenging me, and I do not know the answer to that. Drowning oh, pool. On. Drowning pool. It's just called bodies. Oh, my mistake. Yeah. Gosh, I, I should have known that. And and I, there's probably some metalhead who's listening to this right now going, first off, I fucking love Third Eye Blind. Second off, how dare you make a mistake about the name <laughs> of the song and not know who Drowning Pool is. All right. So, like, come hit us up on Facebook.com slash Hidden Jukebox. I want to genuinely want to hear about your Third Eye Blind memories you you don't have to defend anything like we know we're wrong um i just want to hear like you know what how did you connect with this album and what do you love about it and remember we're all in quarantine right now now is a great time to be listening to podcasts so if you enjoy this and don't hate us after this tell your friends listen to hidden jukebox we would love to get some more listeners out there because what's the point of doing this if you're not checking us out? Yep. Uh, we're also on Instagram at Instagram.com slash Jukebox Hidden. Uh, we have our own website, HiddenJukebox.com. You can check us out there. We're on We're going to post some glamour platforms. shots of Stefan Jenkins. God, I, I hope I can find those because you're going to laugh your ass off. And um, maybe we'll uh, put some more Puck and Natty up there because who doesn't love Puck and Natty? Yep. So, um, Jake, thank you for uh, robbing me of like six hours this week that I could have been spending listening to the new Fiona Apple album and made me listen to this instead. There's always more time right now. We have way That's too true. much time on our hands, so don't worry about that. All right. Until next time, I'm Matthew Amster Burton. And I'm Jake Amster.